Thank you for joining us for the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's message was held on Mother's Day and teaches us about the importance of pursuing depth in relationships. We hope that you enjoy. kids happy mother's day i mean like because you i know you've served that role in probably a lot of people's lives um if you it's a, it's a special day to celebrate moms but um if you're listening online or you're you're hearing this podcast uh and you maybe have suffered the loss of a child or the pain of infertility uh, we mourn with you on this day i know it's a hard day and so um we want to be your family we want to grieve with you but we also want to rejoice with those who are living with their kids today and and goofing off and raising them up to be warriors for the kingdom of God. So um, today is a good day. I, I'm not able to be home with my mom because I'm here with y'all. So this is all your fault. And she probably watches it online. So eventually go up to the camera and apologize. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I love you, Mom. If you're watching, you mean a lot to me. And I'm going to tell sad stories about you and promote you for about 15 minutes. Does that sound good? Is that okay? So my mom loved me a lot. And I was a big goofball growing up, and I did a lot of less than intelligent things, probably, I would say. Okay, maybe I still do less than intelligent things, but um, I did a lot of stupid things. And my mom showed me a lot of grace and a lot of patience and a lot of love. And, um, and she really, really shaped, I think, uh, even my ministry today. My mom had a huge impact on shaping my ministry. My dad did, too. But um, on this day, I just want to share with you, kind of remember an event in which uh, and b- two big parts of my mom's life with me that she kind of taught me something. Is that okay? Can I remember those for you? All right. So the first one is um, when I was a little guy, and I'm going to say less than 12 because it makes it sound better for me. I don't remember how old I was. We're going to say less than 12. How does that sound? Um, I got my first toolkit from my dad, right? And uh, we were in the woodshed, and he was working on some, I think he was building like a desk or something or working on a desk. He was doing woodworking. And he introduced me to my very first tool set. And back then, it wasn't like your average tool set you get today for kids that are plastic molds. They were real metal tools, right? I mean, with wooden handles and like real metal. And, and I opened up this wooden box, and inside of it, there was a, a wooden handled blue screwdriver, flathead screwdriver. Oh, yeah, real metal, all the way through. It was great. And then uh, I had a hammer. It was probably like a, a nine ounce hammer, some pliers, a couple little wrenches tape measure, it was in all this little box, it was perfectly set out, and um, I was excited because this is my first official tool set, set, and my dad, we had tools, and I wasn't allowed to touch them, you know, because I would die, but he was like, okay, you must be old enough, smart enough, here's the tool set, so I was like, okay, sweet, I have tools, now I have to fix something, right, I mean, this is, it's kind of natural implication, you got tools, you got to fix something, so um, my dad was doing woodworking, and that's kind of boring to watch. That's not exactly exciting. So I went outside the shed, and I, and I looked around, and I saw cars. And I was like, well, hammers, that'll get me in trouble, so we can't fix the cars. Ah, oh, the house. There's got to be something broken on the house, right? I mean, who owns a house? There's always broken, right? I mean, there's something always got to be fixed. I knew that. I was young. I was intuitive. I was less than intelligent in my actions, but I, I figured this out. So I was like, I'm going to go fix the house. So I grabbed my screwdriver, my hammer, and my set of pliers, and I, was, I put them in my pockets. You know, my little baby cargo pants, whatever. And I took off to the house. And I got to the porch, and I'm like, well, you might as well start when people come in, make sure everything's together, right? So I started working on the chairs, you know, the lawn chairs out there. I hit a couple of the screws and make sure they were tight. And occasionally I would pretend like I was screwing something. I didn't know what I was doing. 
But uh, I beat on the concrete, made sure it was all good. It had a couple cracks in it, so that mom and dad would be happy. Uh, but I covered that up with a rug. But then um, I looked around, I was like, something else has got to be broken on this house. This cannot be a perfectly fixed house. I did not just accomplish everything on the porch that fast. And then I saw it. I saw it. The holy grail of kid fixes. The electrical outlet. I saw it. It was right there. It had a plastic cover on it. It was safe and everything. But underneath that plastic cover, there were two little slots in a hole that looked broken. Be honest. And you know what? I had a perfectly good flathead screwdriver that fit perfectly in one of those slots. I mean, it was like, it was designed for it. And I looked at it. I mean, I wasn't being impulsive or anything. I looked at it and I thought, hmm, that needs a quarter turn. It at least needs a quarter turn. So I took my screwdriver and I stuck it in the slot. And I went on an electrifying ride across the porch. <laughs> and I was going, right? don't be scared. Okay. Electrifying ride across the truck. And my mom heard her daughter scream as loud as she's ever screamed before in her life. And she, she saw the lights flicker in the house. And she came running out, and then she realized it wasn't her daughter. It was her son screaming like a girl. And I was, I was ah! and I was shaking, right? And my hair, yes, I had hair. Right? My hair was sticking up in like 50 different directions. And I was literally, I looked like I had just like held on to the other, you know, and you see in the movies. And like my skeleton flopped through a couple times. And I was just shaking uncontrollably and crying. And I remember my mom came out, and she goes, she was trying to hold back laughter, right? She, she's like, what did you do? And she picked me up, she took me inside, and it seemed like forever. She held me, and she rocked me, and she told me it was going to be okay, and she tried to hold back her laughter. I mean, but then she also cried a little bit because she was worried, but she held me on the couch, and I remember just shaking, just <laughs> for like forever, thinking, I, I just died. I just died. And I'm never going to fix anything again. You know, and so, but in that moment, in that moment, I look back now, Especially when I was college and I told the story for the first time, I look back and I say, God used my mom to teach me something incredibly important mm -hmm. right then about himself and about her. And that is that no matter what stupid thing I do, no matter what my actions are, my mom's love for me is unconditional. She'd pick me up, she'd hold me, and she'd tell me it was going to be okay. And she, she would rock me. And she, would, she had my back. She loved me. And she cared for me. And um, so it didn't matter... What dumb thing I did from that point on, I could come to my mom and be completely vulnerable because I knew she loved me, right? Because she loved me, I could be, you know, emotionally naked in front of her and say, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I did. And she wouldn't cast me aside. She would love me. And I probably had plenty of opportunities to be emotionally naked before my mom growing up because I did a lot of dumb things, right? And she always loved me. And she still loves me today, no matter what I do. And then there's another thing that she taught me about God. My mom was a principal in uh, Gaston County. Right? And as I grew up and I watched her go from school to school to school, and I was like, she must be horrible at this job because she keeps getting fired and moving to another school. But she really wasn't. She was like what I called the Gaston County school system terminator. Okay? <laughs> so this is what she did. She would be sent to low-performing schools all across the county with a mission from the district office to turn things around as fast as she could, ASAP. Their score, scores are low performance, they're horrible in the state record, I mean, like, in standings, and they need to turn around. So she would go in. And within about a year or two years, sometimes three, she would have that school in the top ten performing schools. She'd turn it around that fast. And I never knew how she did it, right? But then as we got older, I would hear her talk about this. And, um, and when I was in college, we had a conversation. And she, I basically said, Mom, how do you do this? You're such a good principal, right? And they're sending you to the worst schools, and you turn it around, and they have great test scores, and... The kids are happy, and you've got after-school programs for their families. 
And these are some of the most impoverished, impoverished areas of our city, right? And she's going in there and flipping these schools around. And she told me one day, if you don't love kids, you shouldn't be a teacher. She pretty much just said, if I go in there and observe, and when I find teachers that don't love kids, I, I, I tell them they don't need to be teachers anymore. And then they leave. And then I hire people that might not be the most excellent teachers, but that love kids, that put people first, right? And so she taught me, in the, in the way that she did school, that people come first before programs, before test scores, before lesson plans, the kids and their families come first, the teachers come first, put the people first. And I've realized that what she taught me in life about being unconditional, loving me, that I can mess up in front of her and she'll still love me, and that's how God views me, and then that if I put people first, that lives can change, if I invest in that versus other things, that that's kind of shaped ministry, my ministry philosophy, really, I mean, Probably many of you had kids that were in our youth ministry. And that's kind of the philosophy that I put into practice. Put the kids first. Be, be involved with the kids' life. Not playing the programs. Not like I did that for the first three years and messed it up. But after that, I was like, people first, people first, people first. And, man, those kids started to grow in faith. And they started to get the gospel. And they started to catch a fire for missions. And the school that they were going to started to have an awakening. And, and kids started taking their faith seriously. And it wasn't necessarily because of me. It's just we put people first. And we, we love them where they work, right? We love them, and we put people first. That's kind of shaped my philosophy of ministry here, too. That's why depth groups are so important to us at this church, or at least essential to me. I think it's the most essential thing we're going to do as a church plant and as a church in this, in this city is get groups of people together to love one another where they can be vulnerable, they can be honest, and they can be if somebody can respond to them like Christ responds to them, right, with mercy, with grace, with the gospel, and with the word of God. And then we'll put people first in our lives, right? Instead of the programs of the church, we'll, we'll look at the individuals and get the people plugged into relationships. Relationships are the key. So people first create relationships where people feel loved and can be vulnerable. That's kind of what a depth group is, right? At, at, its core central, at the core central, that's what it is. You're putting people first. You're creating a relationship where people can be vulnerable and feel loved and be responding with the gospel. So today what we're going to do is we're going to land the plane on depth groups, right? This is the plane. It's been at 10,000 feet. Some of us have been on it. Some of us have been under it. Some of us fell off of it, and we we're like, ah, you know, but we're going to land it, and everybody's going to end up at the same place. That's the goal for today, right? Good? Okay. Do so you have paper in front of you? If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. Moms, get in your pocketbooks and find all those extra pens that you have, because I know your mom, you got pens in your pocketbook. So I could probably name three other things you have in your pocketbook. A comb or a hairbrush, lipstick or a lip balm, and um, your wallet. Yeah? I'm awesome. Whatever. Okay. I go through a lot of pocketbooks at work. I'm like, oh, look at that. I don't know what that is. Oh, an ID. Anyway, I'm not a pickpocket. But anyway, just looking for IDs. <coughs> Woo, excuse me. So, we're going to land this plane. So, we're going we're gonna to look at it in three ways. Why do we need depth groups? Right? The big why question. What is a depth group? We're going to define it very clearly and, look at, and, and break down the definition. And then we're going to say, how do you do it? Because right? this is one of the biggest questions I keep hearing. How do you, I don't even know what it is. How do I do this? So we're going to nail that to the wall today. So um, if you've got, your, you've got your papers, this is uh, why death group. Okay? Uh, because Jesus commissioned his followers to make disciples. That's your first blank. Make disciples. Jesus commissioned his disciples to make disciples, right? He did not call us in Matthew 28 to go plant churches. 
He did not go to start programs, to start after school programs, or to do uh, mission trips here and there. He said, make disciples, right? So if you're going on the mission trip, your focus is to make disciples. If you're going to have an after school program, it's to make disciples. If you're going to have a church that meets together, it's to make disciples, right? So that was the, that was the imperative command in Matthew 28, right? And how we, we accomplish this imperative command is to baptize and teach them all the things that Christ taught them, and then lo, he'll be with us always, right? But the, the imperative command, make disciples. That's what we were commissioned to do. We believe here at this church that, that this is best done in the way that Jesus did it, right? I mean, there's thousands of ways to make disciples. I really believe in the way Jesus did it. He set the example. He lived with 12 guys for three years. He showed them his life. He was vulnerable for them. He picked out three that he was very specifically intimately involved with that saw his glory and knew a little bit more about who he was. And in that, that three, their lives changed, and they became key leaders when he left. Right, to carry on the mission of making disciples. So this is Restoration Church's strategic plan to do this through relationships. Right? So that's your next point. Or relationally. Is relationally a word? Yeah. Okay, go with relationally. This is our, our relationally. This is our this is our way to do this through relationships or with relationally. So a death group is not a new concept. Okay, we might have tagged the name on it or whatever. But Jesus did this before. Churches are doing this across the, the globe. They might not be doing it the way we're, we're, we're encouraging you to do it, but they're doing it. There are ministries like uh, Zoe. I want to say Yahweh, but that's Jesus' name. Sorry. Zoe ministry that are doing death group type relationships. We're just calling them death groups. But relationships are the key, the absolute key to having a death group. Um, this model is open. That's your next one. It's open. And it is not... Age or life circumstance dependent. Okay, so what do I mean by that? This is the beauty of this model. He can be in a death group. Right? He can be in a death group with three other kids his age. Three other guys that he meets with regularly to study scripture and challenge one another and walk through the text. And he might be in a death group with his dad and two other guys. Right? He can even be in a death group with his dad and two other men. Right? Because in Titus 2, the scripture teaches us older men teach the younger men. Right? That can be a death group. So me and Lance can be with Zach and Caleb, and that can be a death group. It'd be a weird death group, but it can be a death group. <laughs> you know? Like, we, we can make this happen. Right? Uh, it, it, you don't have to have the same age group together. It can help. It doesn't have to be. It can be children and adults mixed together. Um, it can be people in a retirement community and people that just got out of college and people that, are, that have four kids and are right in the middle of their career. They can all meet together, study scripture, and do what death groups do and grow in faith, right? So it's not age or life circumstance dependent. It's not just for college students. It's not just for single, I mean, not just for moms and dads. It's not just for the retired community. Anybody can be in a group like this and can grow in faith. So it's not age or life circumstance dependent. So, what is it? Alright, so here we go. You've got the definition right here. This is as clear as I could define it. Thinking through it, alright? Here we go. A death group is a gathering of three or four men or women that come together on a regular basis to study and be challenged and changed by God's word as they develop deep, trusting, and vulnerable relationships with one another in their pursuit of being Jesus' disciples and multiplying themselves in the community. Alright, 
That's the longest run on sentence in the world, right? Jane, you got any, any dangling participles in there? I'm good? Okay, good, because I don't even know what a dangling participle is, so we still have to go over that. Mom, I'm so sorry. I know you're an English teacher. I'm so sorry. All right, so that is a huge, long sentence, but that is what a depth group is. So let's go through these characteristics, okay? So this is what it is. It's a smaller than a family group, right? It's smaller. Why does it need to be smaller? Um, pause. I want to pause. Before we get into the what it is, we just said that. that we had the definition. We, we talked about why, right? Big, big scope. We do this to make disciples. We do it relationally. I want to take a second and let some people testify to what that's like. Okay? So, um, Lance, will you start us off with what Ryan wrote this morning? Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Ryan really hated to be here because he is so passionate about this, this model, this Jesus model of uh, this Jesus model of influencing and impacting other people's lives. And he couldn't be here, so he wrote out something. And I do want to, before I say it, I just talked to him a few minutes Wednesday night. And with tears streaming down his face, he talked about how God is changing his life through the depth group that he's in with, with Will and Sean, I believe, is the depth group he's currently in. So I won't add anything other to his words other than I was able to see his passion and love that God has birthed his heart through this kind of, this kind of relationship. Over the last several months, each week I've been challenged, enlightened, and comforted by the Word of God with my depth group members. When I was struggling with work or personal issues, I opened up to the group, and they were they were a direct they they direct so that they could direct me to the Bible. They helped me to research and dig deep into the Word to find the truth that would comfort or challenge me with whatever issue I was having. All it took was one person to admit their struggle, and then allowed all of us to go there in honesty, admit our sin and struggles. Just last week, we went over the prodigal son. I read it at face value and thought it was all about the younger brother and his actions. The book Discipleship Essentials helped to show that it was, in fact, a perfect example of God's relationship with us. Then Will, at the end, asked, which son are you? And showed how a lot of people are the older son, who does everything right just to get into heaven, but not have that personal relationship with God. Once again, I was enlightened, convicted, and challenged. The majority of the people in this room, he's referring to us, are mature Christians. I'm on the other side of that spectrum. So Lance, Will, and Todd's testimony might help you to understand how it's helped them and might help you. But for me, just now starting my relationship with God, I can tell you one thing. I need you, the mature Christian, to help me. I need you to reach out to me and offer your knowledge. If all you do is go to church on Sundays and socialize with other mature Christians, how am I, the lost or new believer, ever going to become a mature Christian? I challenge you today to reach out to someone who's lost, Infused or weaken their faith and help them come closer to God. Pretty powerful stuff. Amen. Um, Sean, you're in my death group. I know I talk a lot, so it's your, the floor is yours. Can you, do you mind sharing the testimony of why you think death groups are important? Yeah, I know for me that, uh, you know, I've been involved in uh, many different kinds of groups. I was in a small group, I've been in Bible study fellowship for years, and Although those things offer um, a lot of what we're talking about, I think it wasn't until we started the depth group together that I, you know, allowed myself to open up about the real brokenness, the things that I um, am ashamed of and are harder for me to talk about. And uh, I think for me, um, it has brought me deeper into my faith and 
bringing me to the next step in my faith, which is wanting to be baptized and put baptized faith publicly. And I think that's a huge step for me, one that I never thought I would take, and one that, um, you know, for me, I know it's going to be life-changing. You know what? So, uh, Ty, you and Lance had a different experience, right? Your, your death group is not as, as, as discipleship-based as it is evangelistic-based, uh, right? You are sharing the gospel with somebody through this yeah. death group. Do you mind stepping up here and yeah. kind of sharing your testimony about your death group? While it has a different focus, it still is a, a way for you to sharpen iron and iron, sharpen iron, but also to share the gospel. Yeah, um, just to give you a little backdrop, I mean, as believers— you know, we, we all kind of go, okay, God, how can I be effective in your kingdom? What do you want me to do here on earth? Is it something I need to figure out and check a list off of things I need to do in order to grow in, in depth with you, God? And, you know, what, what would you have me do? Well, I mean, I think Rachel and I, she's not here, so I'm going to still speak for her. She's uh, visiting her family in Shelby, right, her mom. Surprise today. So, anyway, she and Maggie went out of town, but we have gotten to know Rachel and I through through our everyday life. We've gotten to know a couple of people that um, are that are now they've become very good friends of ours, and we've often in our as I mentioned about our faith, you know, our walk. We want to become more intentional, not necessarily say, "Hey, you are you a believer or not?" and and if so, you need to accept Christ. It's more about like Will's talking about developing relationships with people and then broaching some subjects. Maybe maybe that individual's going through something and you can speak into their life with maybe a little scripture or you can ask questions or, you know, just open up a conversation. Well, this particular friend of mine four years ago that we met, um, we, we actually began to get to know more. We'd have him come over to the house. We, we all met through, um, we're all avid wine sort of connoisseurs and we met at a tasting. And we continued to see him at tastings, and we invited him over. And, of course, we have, you know, biblical material laying around the house, so it's kind of obvious when you walk in our house, maybe. That's maybe a little hint and a little help to, to spur on a conversation. I don't know. Um, but we were building a relationship with this guy, and we wanted to begin to get a little more intentional about sharing what has how God's affected our life and how salvation experience is so strong. So I, I broached the subject with him not too long ago and said, hey, would you be interested in, in getting together and talking about philosophy and religion and worldview? And maybe we'll have, I'll have a group of guys over and we'll, we'll have some wine and cheese and crackers and pizza. And, and he said, yeah, I'd be open to that. And I was like, wow, okay. Well, you know, that's step one. So uh, I invited Lance, I've invited Rick. I think um, I'm probably going to invite maybe another non-believer friend of mine into this whole equation. That top, that subject matter is 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 so easy to dive right into worldview and why I believe what I believe. But you know, that's not the intent right off the bat. But we've already just the other night, Lance and I met with my friend and uh, just the three of us over wine, cheese, and crackers, and pizza, 
and we discuss the world, what we're going through. This guy is agnostic. He's like, I don't, I don't know what truth is. So it's really awesome that, that God has opened up this door for us to be able to gently nudge the lifeboat toward our, our friend. And, uh, and we really have a heart for him. Even my daughter Maggie has developed a heart for this guy that's in our life now, and he visits and comes over. She's given him Christian material, and she showed love toward him. So every time he comes over, he's like, hey, what's Maggie doing? You know. Uh, so anyway, it's exciting to, to begin to understand what it means to, to disciple, or I guess I know what that means. It just means, you know, we're living life together, and we're going to share our experiences with one another. And I think that's the most effective way to reach a community you know, sure, some people, you can knock on the door and say, hey, did you know God loves you and wants to save you? That works okay for some, but I think developing relationships like this is really key. Now, it might take a long time, and you know, if, you, if we're going to build a church through, through that kind of existence and that kind of approach, it might take a little longer than, than just getting a building and filling it with people and going, hey, let's worship together. But I think it's really exciting to go from the roots like this and develop these relationships and maybe one day he'll come in and he'll he'll be with us and worship together. Maybe, you know, I don't know how God's going to work this out, but it's just exciting. So just sorry for the long story, but that's that's kind of what's going on. That's that's one example. So I, I didn't ask you guys, but do y'all want to give any testimony to how that preacher is impacting your life? And I know yours are a little bit bigger, a little different than what we do, but do you want to speak to that? If you don't, it's totally fine. I didn't ask you beforehand. I'm kind of like well, catching you. Actually, while you were saying that, I was um, I went to you, you mentioned Zoe, and I went to the website because another term that that we use for this is called redemptive community, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what what you're. It's, it's wild that you're saying these things, but. If, if I can, I mean, you can look this up, but I'll just read a couple of things, you know, about, um, and, and this this is on the Noah site, it says, it requires a belief, you know, talking about the, the deaf group, you know, getting together, it requires a belief that the heart is good, you know, we look at it, the, that the heart of each person is good, and a person's glory is pursued, not their sin, you know, we look for the good, and can't, it can't be a substitute for God and what only He can provide. It requires personal intimacy with God. Is it an acknowledgement that we're in a battle, you know, like a larger story, that we have an enemy that will oppose us? It must be small. It's got to be intimate, you know. It'll be messy, you know, because you're going to share your stuff, and it's going to get messy, you know. And it's a lifestyle where, where lives intersect. People live out their lives together, just like what Todd was talking about, pray. Pray together, play together, worship, eat, share, journey together. It's intergenerational, like what you just said. It can't be contained in a day, a time, or a room. Everyone is is encouraged to offer what they have. Uh, Everyone needs to contribute to be and and be a participant, and no one's glory should be diminished or muted. Uh, It's a safe place, trusting place where hearts and souls souls can be touched, uh, change and disruption are necessary, and it, it, it's, it's missional, it's larger than yourself. And it's funny that you said what you said about blades can be in a, a death group, because there's me and, and two other men, and their two sons, that are getting ready to start doing something together with, with
So why deaf groups? Because we are tasked with the mission to make disciples. And this is the, the most effective way that we've come up with, a strategic way relationally to make disciples, is through this deaf group. Um, the other reason why is because it's not, it's not age or um, life circumstance dependent. Like It can be mixed in all over the place. So the traditional model of Sunday school is you fit in a little group. And, if you don't, and then each, each class has a, a group that you fit in. And if you don't fit in that group, where do you go kind of thing? Maybe. Yes, ma'am. You are saying that they're gender specific, yes. So, um, and we'll go over that. So, let's get back to the what are they? So, we start with they're small. They're smaller than a small the, the small group. So, small groups and our thought process, we call them family groups, are you know ten to fifteen to twenty people. You know, it can, it can get up that high. And the reason we want to go smaller than that, groups of three to four, is that when you get past three to four, you potentially lose the the intimacy and the vulnerability factor because. The more people you have, the less likely they are to be open. You know, so we say groups three to four. Now there are groups that are eight and ten, and they work really, really well. And so it, there's, it's not a hard and fast rule. But when we put it out there, we're going to say three to four. Okay? They are gender specific. That's the next one. Gender. Why are they gender specific? They're gender specific because let's be honest. If me and Rebecca and Rick and Jane are in a deaf group, I'm not going to tell Jane my sin. I'm going to tell Rick my sin, but I'm probably not going to share openly with everybody that what I'm struggling with, right? And so when it's a group of men, you can be a little bit more vulnerable. When it's a group of women, you can be a lot more caring, right? Because if you, let's be another thing. We as men probably stink at being very uh, good listeners and empathetic with our wives a lot of the time. So when our wives are struggling with something and they come to us, we're probably not the best, the best way of, of responding to them, right? But women respond better to women. Men respond better to men. Plus, it just creates the the... Freedom to be honest, right? Um, and that's kind of the goal of this group is that you're not you're, – you're pursuing intimacy with God through intimacy with others. So if you don't have the intimacy with the others, then the Holy you're, – you're blunting the effect of the Holy Spirit ministering to you kind of thing, right? And then you grow into your depth with God. So we, we're making them gender-specific simply to make them more free, to, to open them up for you to be free and honest. All right, your primary focus – that's your next one, primary – Primary focus is to study scripture. Why do we say that? Why are we saying scripture is the primary focus? Because God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Right? It's able to pierce the bone and the marrow, pierce the soul and speak to us. We, we can get together in a group of three or four and share a cup of coffee and talk about our life and never be changed by the word of God. The goal is to be changed by the word of God. Right? To, to grow in intimacy with God through intimacy with others. Intimacy with God comes through the study of his word, right? He has revealed himself through the scriptures. We want to study the scriptures together. Now, we're going to talk about what that means in best practices in just a little while. But that's kind of the primary focus. You get together around scripture. How, how you get to scripture, you can be creative. But your primary focus is coming together for the study of scripture. Your primary purpose, that your focus, your primary purpose, the overarching purpose, which is your next point, your purpose is... Um, Your primary purpose is to develop deep personal relationships with other disciples. All right, so 
It would not behoove you to be in a group of you, the only Christian, and three non-Christians, right? Because you're, you're, not, you're not being sharpened in any way. You're not being challenged. It would behoove you. It could potentially be awesome. Behoove. Is that a good word? Can we say behoove you? All right. I feel like Dr. Seuss right now. It would behoove you to, um, to be in a group with another Christian and maybe two non-Christians. Because iron can sharpen iron, and you can share the gospel through your lives, and then you can share, they, they can become Christians, and you can mature them and pursue depth with, through, with God through others. So um, the purpose is to meet with other disciples, right, and to build deep personal relationships with other disciples. Why? Because God gave us the church, right? He did not call us to do this on our own. He gave us other disciples to rally around with one another. He gave them specific spiritual gifts, specific wisdom. He's put them through very specific sufferings of their life that they can share and challenge us and help us grow. And we want to utilize the body of Christ really well, right? So we want to, our purpose is to build deep relationships with other disciples. We are seeking personal growth. That's the next one, personal growth. Your goal is to grow in intimacy with God through intimacy with others personally, right? It's not just to pour out to other people but to have your group pour into you so that you can be nourished and you can be challenged and you can overcome sin and you can grow in your faith in a deeper relationship with Christ. And then lastly, multiplication and ministry. The last blank is ministry. What is a death group? At the end of it, you, and when you go into it in the very beginning, you got to have the mentality of multiplication, right? Our, our, our challenge is to make disciples that make disciples. That make disciples, that make that multiply, right? We talked about that from the beginning. So if, but we also, as you grow deeper with Christ, He's going to burden you with people, right? He's going to burden you with a particular section of the community, a particular uh, type of person. It might burden you just with a coworker, right? And from this personal growth and these deep relationships, you can reach out into your world and do ministry, right? So you, it's not just about you, you, you. It's about how you can grow with God and with others and then reproduce yourselves into the community by engaging parts of the community that you love, by engaging coworkers that you work with, by engaging family members that might be lost, whatever the case, to do ministry, do the work of ministry. You're being equipped in these groups to do the work of ministry. So it has an outward focus as much as an inward focus. So smaller in the family group, gender-specific, your primary focus is to study scripture. Your primary purpose is to develop deep relationships with other disciples. It is for personal growth, and ultimately, you have the attitude of multiplication and ministry. All right, so we know why, because God calls us to make disciples, and we do this through relationships at, at Restoration. We know what? It's a group that meets together to pour in, into one another, so you grow in intimacy with God through intimacy with others. Say that with me. Intimacy with God. All right, we'll work on that. Intimacy with God through intimacy with others. All right, awesome. All right, so how do we start a death group? This is the how-to. A lot of you want the step-by-step, -step, so here's the step-by-step. -step. Ready? Grab your pens. Hold on. We're going to move. How-to. The first thing you do is pretty simple. You pray. Right? This has got to be spirit-directed. Right? We believe in the core value of this church is that we, we believe that the Holy Spirit directs our lives, and we want to submit to the direction of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray about these people that we're going to engage our lives in, and then we're going to start from that point. We start in submission to the Holy Spirit. Father, who do you want me to invest my life in? Who can invest their life in me? Who around me is missing this relationship? And, and is, I, I might be in a different place in my life and I can pour into this person so that they can grow with intimacy with God through intimacy with others. And so um, we start with prayer. Now, 
Then the next one is pretty simple. You invite somebody to join you. Next step, you invite somebody. Now, there's multiple options to do this, all right? You could, you could sit down and look around your life and say, all right, David, Sean, Joel. All right, I'm going to call them all up and I'm going to make a death group. I could easily do that, right? I could, I could pray. I'd be like, God, David's awesome. He's going to pour into me. Sean's a great cook, so we're going to eat well. And Joel can lead us in worship. So bam, bam, bam. I got three people, different gifts, different talents. Put it together. We're going to have a death group. And I can call them up and say, hey, guys, I want to I eat dinner with you. Let's, let's get together at Champs and eat dinner one night. I want to throw an idea out for you. That simple. That could be the invite. Another option, another practice Rebecca came up with. This is a good, this is a good plan. You want to share it, Ben? Well, I was a little overwhelmed because I started a death group, so I didn't know who to ask. So the first thing I did was I asked one person, and then asked them if they had an idea of anyone they wanted to also be in the group. And it just sort of went like that. And then kind of got to meet a lot of people, and I was a little overwhelmed still. <laughs> but I think we've narrowed it down a little bit to a small group. But just don't be overwhelmed. If we believe that the Holy Spirit of God could, could maintain the word of God for centuries after centuries after centuries after centuries, and he, and he perfectly is orchestrating life to glorify the Father, can we not believe that if we pray and submit ourselves to him, that he will put together a death group for us that will encourage our souls? Right? I mean, like, so I can say, David, I want to do this with you. And you might have somebody else in your life. Find, find another person and ask them to find another person. And let's get together for dinner, whatever. And he calls one person, and he, he casts the same vision, the same idea, and they cast another person. And you show up, and I might not know the other two people that David knows, but I know David. And, and we're, we're connected, right? And so I've already got one relationship to start with, and then I get to build new relationships with new believers, right? Or new, other disciples, or maybe non-believers. And we get to pursue Christ together. So that's, that's a practice. Anybody else have any ideas on ways to invite people to do this? So remember that you don't have to start with random people. Start with somebody you know. Start with somebody you already have a relationship with. That way you're not going in blind to the first time you guys get together and it doesn't take so long to develop a vulnerable relationship, right? So start with somebody you know, somebody you love, you like to spend time with, and then open up your heart to other people to be involved. Um, well, oh, I would say the intentionality of it might be different. Like where you are, um, so I've got believer friends that are all over the country that I share my prayer requests with and I talk to them and I'll, they'll call them on the phone and I'll, we'll talk and challenge one another. But I'm not intentional about meeting with them every week to study scripture together, to let the Holy Spirit change us, to challenge us, and then find an action plan to walk with them intentionally through it. So I think it's just the difference between just having close relationships with multiple believers is getting them in the same place at the same time for the same focus with an intentionality of growing in depth with well, Christ. Yeah. what you said too, sometimes when you're meeting with three or four and you might be talking to a friend, but 
Yeah, so I mean, so if you're meeting one-on-one -on -one with somebody, you're, you might be losing the opportunity for that third person to speak or that fourth person to speak into that situation and the Holy Spirit start to use their life experiences and their walk with Christ to encourage and sharpen them. So, yeah, Mike. I was going to say, I had a nice personal experience that too is, and it may not be this way for females, but for guys, I think it has a tendency to be this way. Until we, and I don't want to use a scary word, but until we covenant together in some sort of way, three or four guys to make a commitment to one another, that we are going to do this together, we're going to do it at a certain time, and there is going to be trust and vulnerability and confidentiality hmm. until you're able to, to almost contract it, not necessarily written, but verbally contract what this experience is like. I think it lacks the freedom, at least for guys, and maybe this way for females, to really go where it needs to go to from an intimacy standpoint. For me to be able to share that real junk, but I just be honest, I want to That's true, because we will float along on the surface for as long as we possibly can. <laughs> Unless it's, there's an intentionality in it. So I think, I think that's true what Lance was saying. I think women tend to, you know, our terminology is the same thing. Well, you know, I'm just like, well, I talk to these other women. We have terrible questions. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I go to church and I talk about the football game and the basketball game and right. the weather and blah, blah, blah. You know, but for me, I need more intentionality in those things. And another thing, um, you already mentioned it. Ours is slightly different, mine, Lance's, and Rick's, in that. We're intentional about a particular good friend of mine who's a non-believer, and so how your depth group might different, be different from somebody else's, and so on and so on. You, you know, we could get together and we could do exactly what you're talking about as just believers and invite maybe another believer. But obviously, I'm not in this particular intentional group that we're in. I don't think I'm going to necessarily start firing off anything about Scripture, obviously. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to wait until the subject matter leads itself or lends itself that direction, which, interestingly enough, by the way, the Holy Spirit did work, and Lance was able to share some really interesting and key things that are going on in his life that I think, you know, so there's, there's kind of a non-believer within a depth group kind of idea or, you know, I don't know. And there's, there's depth groups with just believers. Right, yeah. Kind of thing. So, and you're going to approach them differently, and that's where there's freedom to be creative. So, yeah. we're laying out the whole purpose of the day and the, and the how to and the what's is to give you a skeleton to build your group in. Right? I mean, you put the meat and you put the muscles and you put the organs in it and you make it work, but here's the skeleton. Right? So, um, that probably for women, it's a lot easier. If you can get four women together, you're going to go to a next level depth way faster than men are. And so I'll, I'll admit that. And so it might not be as new a concept to you as it is to be honest. Yes, ma'am.
and you're not stringing yourself out for every poor soul that comes along. And it, it sounds, I hope it sounds the way I mean it. it I mean, we're called to love everybody for sure. But God, we can't love everybody to the same degree. And I know for me, this has been especially critical in that way. Well, then that brings up a question I think Molly raised Okay. The distinctions, the purposes, the that, that is coming, and if we go there, we're going to get way off track. Oh. So, but there, there are different purposes. The purpose of a death group is depth in relationships with others and with God. The purpose of a family group is to open yourselves up to the community of non-believers and believers working together to share the gospel and to, and to develop a relationship, right? And then you take those relationships and you go deeper. So that's where the difference is. So, um, yes, sir. I know we need to move on, so I'll say this real quickly. What, what Todd, Greg, and I do, it's a little bit of a of an adventure in discovering what this looks like and in, in bringing in people over Christ. Uh, I think one of the best practices for most, not, not, not to say we're like in the grad school course, and that's not it. As a matter of fact, somebody's like, what are we doing? It was scary. But, but we're, we look about all to do that. I think for most people, the best next step would be to start a, a depth group where you are looking to other believers when we get into what a family group, the, the, the next phase of what family groups are, I think it will make more sense how you can incorporate inviting non believer both into the family group and when that's appropriate into the death group as well. Right. So, I mean, death groups have their purpose. Family groups will have their purpose. Corporate worship will have its purpose. It all is a purpose to make disciples, but in very specific ways. So, all right. So, we pray. We invite. The next one is the, probably the hardest thing we have to do, and that's schedule. Right? We all get together at the same place at the same time. And then we make it a priority in our schedule to do this. Now, scheduling uh, is not a hard and fast rule, right? It doesn't mean that you have to meet every week at 9 a.m. at Bean Traders. Because some of you might be at work. <laughs> 9 a.m. every other day, I might not be at work. You know, I'll be at Bean Traders. Anybody want to join me? But it also doesn't mean that you have to be at 6.30 at Bob Evans in the morning. Because you might not be a morning person, right? But you might, be at, you might hit your stride at around 7 o'clock at night, and you can meet at a, a local restaurant and just have dinner together with your group of four. You might just show up in your living room and have group, your group together pour into one another or sit in your friend's office. Whatever works, you know, you can figure it out. But the idea of scheduling is that you develop a regular pattern, a regular meeting, all right? So once a month is too little. More than once a week is too much, right? I mean, like, you don't want to burn, like, burn yourself out in this because sometimes when you go emotionally vulnerable before people, that can be really hard to face. And you might need a little breathing time. So you don't want to have to meet every day. That's ridiculous. If you meet once a week, great. If you meet once every other week, great. One of those two is kind of ideal, right? Either every week, same time, same place, pouring into one another, walking through scripture, awesome. If you can do every other week, that's great too because you don't lose too much pattern. If you go every third week, every fourth week, you lose the intimacy, right? I mean, you you don't keep up with each other. You get separated by life. It's easier to cancel because we haven't done it in a long time anyway. So you want to create a regular pattern. You want to make it a priority in your life. So that's schedule. Um, Can I say something real quick? Yes, sir. It's on my heart about that. Like, as you're starting these groups, like, what we would always do is say, let's say you got three guys. So the first time you meet, pick one guy. So you got an hour or whatever. All right, you tell your 
Yeah, but I mean, so, you know what I mean? So as you get to understand, so you, I just say that to say, say you might want to not necessarily start out just jumping into a scripture and first right, right, right. You know what I mean? Let's get to know. Right. That's so kind of how relationships are the absolute central of it. Yeah. So you you take the time to build the relationships, but uh, and you but you might get your guys around and say, hey, we're going to look at this book, or maybe we're not. The first couple meetings, you might just be getting to know each other, which is perfectly fine. Uh, answering questions, saying this is what's going on in my life, and then you can say, wow. There might be a need for all of us to look at this, you know, like to do a biblical study on finances or a biblical study on um, anger or whatever. Like there might be a, re a reason to get together if, as you get to know one another. Um, so we schedule each other. You find the regular cadence. You find your rhythm. You make it a priority and you meet. Um, at least every other week would be ideal. Uh, all right. So the last, the last two, you develop debt. So this is how you develop debt. You're characterized by these four things, okay? These are the four things, big, big concepts. You can fit them in any way you want to. You can make them the thigh, you can make them the finger, it doesn't matter, just put them on the skeleton, right? These four things. Somehow you're studying scripture together. Scripture, you're going to lead your conversation to scripture in some way, right? So you're challenging one another with the word of God. It doesn't mean that you have to pull out your Bible and your commentaries and all that kind of stuff and sit together and just try to find out what the Greek root is of all the, you can if you want to, but that's not what it means, right? If that's where you want to go, go there. If it's just studying a memory verse each week and challenging one another to memorize scripture and then talking about how you're applying it, great. If it means studying a book of the Bible together and each person take a chapter, great. If it means reading a Christian book that's out that, that addresses scripture as it goes through, kind of like the multiple book, great. But bring it to scripture in some way. That's one of the characteristics. The next one is you've created a relationship where you feel free to confess your sins to one another and the struggles that you're going through, right? That's a characteristic of a death group. There's a vulnerability and a confidentiality and trust and a relationship established among you four or you six or whatever that you are able to say, this is who I really am. This is what I'm really struggling with and I need you guys to pray with me, right? So if you want to get to that point, that is not your first meeting probably. It might not be your third meeting. I think it was like our fourth meeting before we were actually honest with one another and said, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And at that point, it was like a rocket ship. And just, I mean, it was just like amazing, this, the depth we started growing in one another. But it took time to get to the point where we knew each other enough to say, this is what I'm struggling with. So you, it, it will be characterized by confession. That confession but will be res responded to in two ways. It will responded to in prayer. You'll pray for one another. You'll respond to one another with gospel. That, that will be a key component. That um, you're, you're not bringing condemnation or kicking somebody out of the group because of their confession. You're bringing around them. You're praying for them and responding with God's word, right? Prayer and God's word, you're responding. And then lastly, um, we learn in James 5, right? All these things come from study of scripture, confess your sins, pray for one another, um, speak the truth to one another. And then act in love. That's the last one. The key to this death group is to grow with each other. So you, you can come up with strategic ways to love one another. So let's say somebody's issue is anger at 435 every day. The same person walks in their office and they want to strangle them. Then I, my action plan is going to be at 430 to call somebody in my death room and say, listen, I'm praying for you. And they're coming in. You know they're coming in. But the anger, the anger band does not produce the righteousness of God. I just want to remind you that and I'm there for you. So when he's finished being in your office, call me back and we'll talk it out. You know, like it's an action step, an action plan. You keep up with one another and you walk with one another through your struggles. So. It's characterized by these four things. These are the meat. These are the organs. Study scripture together. Confess your sins. Pray for one another. Act in love. Right? And then the last characteristic of a death group, what it is or how you do it well, is you multiply yourselves. 
At some point, you're going to grow in a great intimacy with one another, and you're not going to want to ever leave. Right? You're going to be in a group with somebody that knows everything about you, and you know everything about them, and they're walking with you, and they're loving you in such an intimate way, and you're going to be like, I'm never leaving you. I love you too much. And that would, that would be devastating to the mission of, God, of the gospel. When God grows you deep with himself, he's going to burden you around you. Be bold enough to multiply your group. Go into it the mentality of maybe in three years we're going we're gonna to split this group up and multiply. It might be in eight months we're going to split this group up and multiply. There's no time frame. There's not a, 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 an indicator that says you have to split right now. But have your heart open to the fact that there might be other people around you that need to be poured into. And so if you're in a group of four, it's perfect for this. Because then you can team up and split in teams. Right? Go with a partner. So Sean and I might say, all right, Ryan, John, we love you. But there's two people over here that are coming to our church that we know are, are young believers and we need to go pour into them. So we're, we are going to keep up with you and love you, but we need to stop meeting and we're going to start meeting with them. We want to challenge you to find two more people and reproduce yourselves. So John and, and Ryan might get together and, and they might attack two other guys that they work with that we don't even know. And then they just start loving on them and developing a new relationship, a new intimacy, a deeper growth as they pour into one another. It meets the Titus 2 model. It meets the making discipleship model. And it meets multiplication, which is the ultimate goal, right? Disciples, making disciples, and make disciples. Okay. Now, that's why, that's what, that's how, right? And I'm not going to get any more specific than we got today, right? This is all you need to make one, to do a, to do a death group. This really is all you need. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than this, and it can't be any more simpler. <laughs> like, we have worked really hard to simplify this the best we can. This is what you need, Right? So my challenge to you is pray. We're going to spend some time right now. We're going to pray. And, Van, if you guys want to start making your way up there and plug in and get ready to go, I want you to pray. If you are not in a depth group, or maybe you've got Christian. I mean, Jane, I want to affirm you. You've got women that you already love and you meet with. Get them together in a group. You know, like meet regularly with them. You know, that you've already got a depth group, okay? The, and, and let me say this really clearly. The goal of this is not to... Now, this would be a beautiful effect is if this church grew because of it. But that's not the primary focus, right? What's the primary focus? To make disciples. Disciples can go to any church they want to. Disciples can go anywhere in the world they want to go and, and, and worship with other disciples and serve with other disciples. Your goal is to build intimacy with God through intimacy with others, right? Help other people grow with Christ as you grow with Christ and then reproduce yourself. So if you're starting today with a group of women or men that are not a part of this church, awesome. Keep going, and, and then maybe there'll be a point where you want to break off and, and reach some lost people or reach new believers or reach other people, and they end up coming to our church. Awesome, great, but the goal is not to build the church. Hear me clearly. That will happen. We are not responsible for that, right? Christ will build the church. Our goal is to make disciples, and disciples will eventually get together and worship together, and that's what we're looking for, right? So we want to make disciples. So let me pray for you. Um, I want to challenge you now. This is your action step. One, pray. Pray that God will reveal that one person that you can invite into a depth group relationship. Pray for that one person. Um, kids, this is for y'all too, okay? Like, what's that, that classmate you have? What's that person you go to school with that you can say, hey, when we go to lunch, every day we go to lunch, or once a week when we get to lunch, can we get together over at a, a separate table and just start studying scripture together and being honest about who we are and pray for one another. Every other, every other day of the week, we can eat lunch with our friends, but can we get together once a week and just love on each other and pursue Christ deeper? 
right? It, you don't have to wait till you get out of college or you get a job or you retire or whatever to do this. It's for all people. So pray. Who's that person, God, that I can invest my life in, that I want to walk with you in a deeper relationship? And then will you build a death group for us? Will you build a group where we can be intimate with you and intimate with one another? And then uh, the next action step point is do it, right? Invite somebody. Get on the phone and invite them. After God has revealed that person, call them. Get it going. Start building debt. All right, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, I got I to gotta say it. Thank you for my mom. Thank you for the way that she taught me to love people, the way that she demonstrated people first, and the way she demonstrated your love for me unconditionally. Thank you for how you used her, Father, in my life. Father, thank you for how you're using all the moms in this room in the lives of their kids to be the gospel, to show them love and compassion, to show them a safe place to be themselves. I pray, Father, that if there's a mom in here that's discouraged, that you would encourage her with your spirit. If there's a mom that's tired, you would give her rest. If there's a, a mom who's missing their kids because they're at college or away, Father, that kid would call them today. And mom, I'm going to call you, but that they call them, tell them they love them, celebrate them. Father, for the ladies that might be listening to this or in this room that experienced the loss of a child, the pains of infertility, I pray that you would give them comfort and peace, Father. Know that they're in a family that loves them and wants to grieve with them and rejoice in the gospel that you are good. Father, as we put people first, as we seek to develop intimacy with you through intimacy with others, bring to light one person, one person in our life, Father, we can pour ourselves into. And then, Holy Spirit, orchestrate a gathering of believers. Even if we start there, just orchestrate a gathering of believers to grow deeper in faith, to challenge one another, to sharpen one another, and to help one another overcome sin. And then, Father, multiply us for your glory. Multiply us not for the church's name, not for sustainable groups, but multiply us for your glory in the city. So that maybe one day every man, woman, and child in the city will know you intimately because of the love of the body of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name as we worship you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find out more about restoration and what's going on in our world, check out www.restorationchurch.us for more information.